recording now. So, um, welcome back. Today I'm going to continue the reading and commentary on Tao Te Ching. And this is uh, episode or session uh, 18. Today we're going to look at chapters 42, 43, 44. And um, first I want to look at a couple of... Uh, uh, paragraphs, sections of the Wikipedia write-up of Dao De Ching uh, in response to my dismay at the translations um, referring back to the original. Um, all of these translations, um, or let's say both of the translations I'm working from here, Arthur Whaley and D.C. Lau, uh, they are, yes, indeed, uh, by scholars and people who have seriously looked in, considered two of the best translations of maybe half a dozen that are traditionally used. Uh, they are considered two of the best by people who uh, <laughs> seem to be qualified for that, which is not me. Uh, and that's why I've used them. Uh, but... If I look at the original text characters on any one in any one of the chapters, comparing it to their translation, and then comparing uh, the English of these two translations, um, there seems to be a big, a great variance, a variance again and again between the, these two translations and then between both of them and the original texts, which are extremely terse and tight, and I just don't like. Um, this whole thing, th this whole phenomenon of translators doing their own thing, uh, I think it's disrespectful to the original teaching. And yet, these are considered two of the best translations, and uh, probably, maybe they are. I don't know. I don't know everything. But um, again and again, there is a, a variance between the translations and between both and the original that is very unpleasant for me and I feel disquiet and I feel some frustration. But um, it is as it is and I'm not a translator of classical Chinese and it's a whole lot harder than simply looking at the original and choosing one of the several meanings of each of the characters and then trying to fashion some very terse English translation from each line of characters, that's what a simple-minded approach would do, and I think in some cases it may be useful. In many cases it's very difficult. Um, but uh, a reminder that if you want that, that if you if you want precision, you uh, short of becoming a Chinese classical Chinese translator, would need to um, meditate on the the various meanings of each character in the sequence, in the lines, in each chapter, and you probably will come up with some, in some cases, uh, a better translation than either of these. In other cases, uh, hopelessly confused. So, on the Wikipedia page, paragraph called Translational Difficulties, starting, says... Dao De Ching is written in classical Chinese, which poses a number of challenges to complete comprehension. As Holmes Welch notes, this is a famous Chinese translator, <clears throat> uh, the written language, quote, 
has no active or passive, no singular or plural, no case, no person, no tense, no mood. End quote. Moreover, the received text lacks many grammatical particles which are preserved in older Ma Wang Doi and Beida texts, meaning there are different texts of the chapters of I Ching, um, Da De Ching. And so the received text or what they're working from, um, which came out of the older texts, um, don't have grammatical don't have grammatical marks, um, meaning it's not clear where sentences start and, fo- and end. <laughs> it just goes on. Just because it's in a line doesn't mean it's the whole sentence, and the next line is a separate sentence. It may be a run-on sentence, and it goes on. Since there are no punctuation marks in classical Chinese, it can be difficult to conclusively determine where one sentence ends and the next begins. Moving a full stop or a period, a few words forward or back or inserting a comma can profoundly alter the meaning of many passages and such divisions and meanings must be determined by the translator. Uh, Some editors and translators argue that the received text is so corrupted from originally being written on one-line bamboo strips lined with silk threads that it is impossible to understand some chapters without moving sequences of characters from one place to another. So you can see uh, some some blocks of several characters may actually be in the wrong place. Uh, and if they were moved, in some cases, it makes it intelligible, whereas it's they're, they're not where they should be. Then there's no indication of where sentences start and stop, and the language itself isn't clear whether it's active or passive, singular or plural, uh, a person or a tense, you know, present or future, or a mood, whatever that is. But uh, all of these grammatical uh, features are missing. Then (laughs) you have translation section above. Um, All of that hasn't stopped uh, lots of folks from translating. In the section above called translations, briefly, I'll pull a couple out here. The Dao Te Ching has been translated into Western languages over 250 times, mostly to English, German, French, uh, and Holmes Welch, who I've heard of before and is a pretty solid um, scholar. It's a famous puzzle which everyone would like to feel he had solved, right? So you've got a lot of egos and big noses involved and people who are basically saying, I want it my way. Uh, You had first English translation in 1868 by a Scottish Protestant missionary, you think that his biases had nothing to do with it, called Speculations on Metaphysics, Polity, and Morality of the Old Philosopher Lao Tzu, I mean Lao Tan. It was heavily indebted to Julian's French translation, dedicated to James Lega, who made his own translation. Every single one of these um, is chock full of the translator's flourishes. And it, it may just be that the kind of people who get involved in, in classical Chinese scholarship or any classical uh, studies scholarship to be competent to then translate um, is more or less full of himself. It may well be.
I mean, most people who have some position are full of themselves. I don't think I'm full of myself. I really want uh, an accurate um, rendering into English of the original words and meaning. That's all. Not by Scott, but by him, by the teacher. I really care about getting the teacher's words correct. Uh, I don't think that's um, arrogance. But I see a lot of these guys... They they really uh, want to make make their make want to make a name for themselves. There's so many humans they in in they want to make a name for themselves, and so <laughs> no surprise they're led by craven liars and uh, criminals because uh, their own self-centeredness is magnified on a great scale by those that become their leaders. It's the same arrogance often. Not everybody. But it's pretty common, and so you got a lot of you got got a lot of self-centered people doing a lot of work in this world, and uh, that's why it is as it is. So then you've got all these other translations from Chinese scholars and then teachers, and every single one of them has some uh, some has rendered certain character or certain passages better than others, while the next rendering of another chapter may be totally uh, egocentric to that translator, it seems to me. Down the page we see statements, many translations are written by people with a foundation in Chinese language and philosophy who are trying to render the original meaning of the text as faithfully as possible into English. Right? They all have good intention, I guess. Some of the more popular translations are written from a less scholarly perspective, giving an individual author's interpretation. <laughs> Isn't it always that way? that even the scholars um, may well be arrogant or may well be trying to make a name for themselves or may well want to add all sorts of words far beyond the original characters. Critics of these versions claim that their translators de deviate from the text and are incompatible with the history of Chinese thought. In some cases, they totally are. Russell Kirkland goes further to argue, everybody's arguing, that these versions are based on Western Orientalist fantasies and represent colonial appropriation of Chinese culture. It's just called a shitty translation. And by a translator's non-unrecognized um, desire to make it his own, his or her. And um, the result of that is that you get farther and farther from the original text and the original meaning. Um, other Taoism scholars argue that while they don't pretend to scholarship, they meet a real spiritual need in the West. Yes, I think that's true, and there'll be people who love each of the translations. These westernized versions aim to make, so it's not just English, it's westernizing. These westernized versions, and, and that's just the way it goes, you know. <laughs> my, the translations of my, my books into Japanese are Japanized. Absolute, absolutely. And no translator asked me for help because they think they don't need any help. So, we had the same thing here. Westernized versions aim to make the wisdom of Dao Te Ching more accessible to modern English-speaking readers by typically employing more familiar cultural and temporal references. So, um, sad but true, um, every translation is sub-ideal uh, sub or non-ideal um, in some cases, there's an excellent rendering. In some cases, in the same chapter, a different passage, I think, would be poorly rendered. And you see the authors 
doing their own thing because um, they value themselves, uh, their own status greater than truth. They don't. They don't love truth enough to to um, value selfless uh, apprehension, selfless apprehension as much as possible. I'm not important. The teacher's truth, the teacher's teaching is important, at least if you want to understand what the teacher is teaching. <laughs> if you want to know what the teacher is teaching, you might want to uh, shave off any personal add- add-ons or addendums to it, or at least make a clear distinction. This is, what the, this is how tight the text is, and uh, here's how we could translate it, though it's not clear, and I'm not sure in countless cases. Not, I mean, of course, you can't do that very well with translations and books to say that every single time in every single chapter where every where any passage is questionable, it's noted as such. Um, <laughs> every translation would have that note notation on every chapter in several places, actually, if translators were so honest. And maybe they, they cover that in the introduction or preface to their books. I imagine many do. But... Uh, we can see with these two different translations, Whaley and Lao, um, that both of them have added heavily, and both of them have um, twisted and turned original text into uh, what they like, what they think fits the original and will help the reader, and um, puts their own personal flourish upon it. That that I, I really don't like that at all. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, I couldn't say I know any two better translations than these either. So, with that said, which is not a happy matter for me, let's look into uh, chapter 42, Tao Te Ching, um, a long chapter, uh, many, many lines, um, and you'll see again some different translations, the two differences between Whaley and Lao. So let's look in. Arthur Whaley, chapter 42, Dao De Ching. Dao gave birth to the one. The one gave birth successively to two things, three things, up to 10,000. These 10,000 creatures cannot turn their backs to the shade without having the sun on their bellies. And it is on this blending of the breaths that their harmony depends. To be orphaned, needy, ill-provided is what most is what men most hate yet princes and dukes style themselves so truly quote, things are often increased by seeking to diminish them and diminished by seeking to increase them the maxims that others use in their teaching i too will use in mine show me a man of violence that came to a good end and i will take him for my teacher so, uh, let's just uh, pull the other D.C. Lao in. D.C. Lao, chapter 42. The way begets one, one begets two, two begets three, three begets the myriad creatures. The myriad creatures carry on their backs the yin and embrace in their arms the yang and are the blending of the generative forces of the two. There are no words which men detest more than solitary, desolate, and hapless. 
yet lords and princes use these to refer to themselves. Thus, a thing is sometimes added to by being diminished, <clears throat> and diminished by being added to. What others teach, I also teach. Quote, the violent shall not come to a natural end. I shall take this as my precept. <laughs> Very different. So, initially, the first section of the first few lines is Dao Sheng Yi Yi Sheng Er Er Sheng San So, Dao births one, one births two, two births three, San uh, San Sheng one Wu uh, So, uh, three births or gives birth to 10,000 things. Now, 10,000 things is sometimes written as myriad creatures. Why? <clears throat> because they think that you can't understand that 10,000 things is not the same as myriad creatures. So they put myriad creatures because they think um, it's better than saying 10,000 things. I wouldn't. <laughs> I think you say 10,000 things. <clears throat> 10,000 things includes the myriad or is the myriad creatures and is a more honest, respectful way of handling the original text, I think. But it isn't the case for them. Then the next line is uh, Wang Wu or 10,000 things. And then we get some trouble. Lose or bear or carry Fu uh, Yin. So we are talking about Yin and Yang, right? <clears throat> so while D.C. Lao figures out that yin means yin and yang means yang, Whaley actually talks about shade and sun. Why? Because maybe when Whaley was translating, uh, because he's a white man, he's an English man, these, these people are products of their culture, as me too, and therefore are distorted and uh, supported or helped and harmed by their cultural uh, conditionings of childhood and education, right? They're, they're following other Chinese scholars. These were graduate students one day, <laughs> Wei Li and Lao. They were grad, me too. All we are graduate students listening to somebody who's a professor. That professor le learned from their professor. And you think their professor <laughs> was, uh, you know, the, the pinnacle of sincerity and, uh, commitment to authenticity from original text without add-ins and modifications? Probably not. So, <clears throat> Whaley doesn't, doesn't think that we should use yin and yang. Uh, D.C. Lao realizes that, yes, uh, yin and yang is probably good to put in. Because that's what the, sec the text says, right? <laughs> that's the text. The text is of saying yin and yang, not shade and, and uh, sun. <clears throat> so, uh, the myriad creatures or 10,000 things have a relation to yin and yang. They carry yin and hold yang. And so there's, if you, you know, again, you, you want to get into the real meaning, you've got to go very deep um, into the analysis of each character. And so it's <clears throat> fu yin versus bao yang. So now we're talking about fu. Fu, third character in the fifth line from the right to the left, chapter 42. 
lose or negative, it also means to bear or carry. Carry on one's back. And that's where Whaley added carry on their carry on their back or turn their back to the shade. <clears throat> so he said turn their back to the shade. And DC Lao said carry on their back the yin. Yes, the trans the character f- translated as shade is yin. So is it that they carry on their back the yin? Or is it that they lose the yin? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> because the character fu could mean lose. It also means carry. So they carry or lose or bear the yin and also carry, hug, embrace, uh, bow the yang. Well, there's a difference between bow and fu. And so you'd have to look at the difference between them as to how the 10,000 things relate to yin and yang according to this chapter <clears throat> are they have they been doing that in their in their analysis of this chapter to understand the philosophy of a different a distinct relationship between the the 10,000 things uh, related to yin related to yang related to the deeper meaning of the two characters fu and bao maybe maybe not Western translators, you know, recent fellows probably didn't, but the scholars should. I assume they did. And so one says, uh, <clears throat> one ends up with the turn, cannot turn their back to the shade, and the other one ends up with carry on their back the yin. It's different. Um, it seems to me mm, that Fu is probably. Um, something that that uh, it, it's probably bear or carry the yin <clears throat> and then embraces the yang um, but you see if you really know the difference you'd know you'd get a very important philosophical point how Dao de, how you know the Dao De Ching or Lao Tzu or whoever understands the different relationship of the 10,000 things to the yin and the yang it's a little different so we know that yang, yin supports yang, and yang leads to yin, um, but they have a very specific relationship. So that's what needs to be, uh, to, to get that little point, one would need to do an analysis of the two characters, fu and bao, in the fifth line from the right on chapter 42. <clears throat> that's a piece of work. So clearly, one gives rise, the uh, Tao is prior to the one. Tao is like intelligent infinity. Prior to any formal manifestation, manifestation of a form that couldn't be considered a unity. The first manifestation of form is, is really uh, the Logos, which is a focalizing of love light, as Ra said. And the Logos is the primary unified source from which comes the 10,000 things. So, uh, it's not successively birthed, but there is a succession. The, the chapter doesn't say succession. It says one, the way, or Tao, and nobody, you see, at the time when they did these translations, they didn't realize that it might be better to leave the original words sometimes, or or they did sometimes and they didn't sometimes, right? So, D.C. Lao translates Tao as the way, but he doesn't translate translate yin and yang into English beyond yin and yang. So, all right, everybody's doing all sorts of things. And 
it, it just we have to deal with or I have to accept this um, crippling this moderate crippling of authenticity or accuracy but Tao is prior to one one leads to the, the mirroring or activity of one lead is is a primal duality uh, it's basically motion it's basically uh, pre pre-active or uh, boundless potential um, uh, and then dualistic kinesis so you've got uh, I forgot the other word but it's something act kinetic and um, potential there's a word better word than potential but prior to movement <clears throat> there is the one form the one light or intelligent energy that gives rise to the seven prior to the seven there is its source which in the cosmology of the raw material is intelligent energy or the focalizing of infinity into the logos or love light that itself is uh, successive or uh, subsequent to a movement of intelligent infinity the act of action of free will upon love is prior to uh, the logos or the logoic principle the logoic principle <clears throat> is light which is considered a focalizing of infinity um, with infinite will and love and uh, manifestation available um, but not yet having moved when it moves the first movement is um, manifests a duality between it and its what it generates and that could be called a duality that duality to to continue creation goes to a three very much akin to the the three of body mind spirit father son holy ghost brahma vishnu shiva um the laws of free will love and light um a a <clears throat> essential trinity a cre essential cosmological metaphysical trinity that gives rise to the 10,000 things. And so that's like my talk on cosmic numerics, one, two, seven, three, or one, two, what was it? One, one, three, seven, two, <clears throat> which is a different way of looking at it, that the 10,000 things um, manifest duality. And here it's duality preceded the manifestation of the 10,000 things. But, you know, <laughs> this kind of sequence of cosmogenesis um, is uh, is a conceptualization of something that is really um, <laughs> of unity and pre a non-duality so but duality came out of unity and the 10,000 things or seven dimensions and all the octaves um, are both polarized and derivative of unity so it's a unity manifesting as uh, duality then <clears throat> the 10,000 things um, are both are associated deeply intimately with both yin and yang which is the primary duality of um, active passive or uh, stillness motion or receptive transmissive that, that comes down at a later stage to male female and gender and day and night and um, 
you know, the upward, downward, and positive, negative paths, and all that. So, very much um, <clears throat> the the creative process uh, maintains itself. While well, after it came from source, it maintains itself by interplay of a two. Then there's a discussion of these terms: solitary, desolate, hapless, um, which is very much associated with. Um, the Taoist ruler um, using a reliance on the yin to um, maintain a beneficent rule. And so we've seen this in a previous chapter that these princes and dukes or rulers uh, in a Taoist, from a Taoist perspective uh, consider themselves poor <clears throat> or weak and don't put themselves above others. They don't sound like jade while others make the sound of, of stone. And so uh, it's the wise ruler or leader um, valuing the, the, the weak and the soft and the yin uh, more highly than yang and power and uh, domination or anything like that. That's why they might style themselves in accord with um, what people don't want. And so the point is that <clears throat> you can get, you can gain by loss, and by, gain, by loss you may gain. And so uh, things are increased by seeking to diminish them. They may be diminished by seeking to increase them. This is again, a root Taoist um, teaching that in a universe of continual alternation between the yin-yang or the plus-minus or the gain-loss or the happy-sad, uh, holding to the weak or the soft or the yin is a whole lot safer. And if you try, if you're seeking eternal gain, you'll lose much. If you're appreciating the 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 homely <laughs> or the weakly, the weak and the um, gentle, um, one is receptive to continued gain. So, seeking to gain, one loses. <clears throat> Not necessarily seeking to lose, but seeking to be well as is, um, one may gain. Seeking to take, one one engages in struggle. Seeking to give, one makes oneself worthy of receiving, karmically. And so Gautama said the root of wealth is generosity, right, dana. And so <clears throat> uh, if you push too hard, you're going to get, if you push too hard and you cut too, too much, um, the edge gets dull and one goes to exhaustion. And so uh, this is the the deep appreciation of the yin and the soft and the weak and the gentle in Taoism. And so, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, show me a man of violence, came to a good end, I'll make him, take him for my teacher, is <laughs> quite a different, a little bit different than saying, uh, the violent shall not come to a natural end, I take this as my precept. <laughs> uh, you can just see that these guys, just they did their own thing. Uh, but clearly it's... Um, Man of good, man of violence, or violent, no natural end. Uh, 
And actually, there was um, yeah, you 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 have to really work on your work on your own. And I haven't done the work on every character of every chapter, but sometimes they are translating uh, Dao or Da or Yin or Yang. Um, in in multiple English ways, in multiple by multiple English words, so you have to look into it, and it really takes a lot of time because it takes. I haven't. I I admit I have not spent. I have not done contemplation on every single chapter. Uh, but if you that seems to be the only way because one would have to let intuition play, uh, to find um, deeper meanings in certain cases. But surely the point is, uh, live by the sword, die by the sword, and um, in unrelenting attachment to power aggrandizement uh, and harshness or violence um, leads to uh, the inbound of what's been, uh, how one lives one's life. So you get what you have given. And so that's pretty straightforward. So let's look at chapter 43. Now, chapter 43 is really short. And again, um, translations, um, you know, <laughs> are uh, non-ideal. Uh, so in the first case, Whaley says, what is, all, what is of all things, let's go jump right in, chapter 43, Tao Te Ching, Arthur Whaley, what is of all things most yielding can overwhelm that which is of all things most hard. Being substance-less, it can enter even where there is no space. That is how I know the value of action that is action-less. Wait. But that there can be teaching without words, value in action that is actionless, few indeed can understand. So it's poetically, it's lovely. How close to the original? Hard to say. So uh, the first line, right line down is Tian Xia under heaven, him it arrives soft. Zhi um, Ro. Most soft, so under heaven the softest. Um, qi cheng is qi cheng is probably a phrase that was used in classical Chinese. Run fast, speed or spread or hasten, run, gallop. Probably is um, is the fastest <laughs> or or runs the most. Uh, and then you've got the second. Um, Tian Cha, meaning under heaven, the next phrase about what's under heaven. So you can say that the first um, line actually is seven characters and break, and the period is midway through the second line from right to left. So under heaven, uh, the softest runs the fastest. And then under heaven, uh, the strongest, which is again, which is zhi, jian, jian, zhi jian, 
the strongest or the most resolute um, has uh, is is formless. Wu <laughs> Yu or cannot enter. Cannot enter between, meaning has no substance or is formless. So, under heaven, and it's so interesting. I mean, Whaley, both of these guys, they don't think that they should say under heaven. Why? They hate heaven? They're anti Christian? I don't get it. The text says, Tian Sha, under heaven. Heaven under. Why don't they say under heaven? <laughs> they have some problem with heaven? It's very odd to me. <clears throat> so th this is the kind of thing. This is why humans screw themselves up. I mean, even good guys like Wei Li and Lao. Um, I mean, you know, you may think I'm getting too critical. Downvote me if you don't like it. But um, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, am I a purist? Um, is this unreasonable? <laughs> Why don't you hold to the original text? So I just don't understand. You know, I don't get it. I, I think it's um, disrespectful to your teacher <laughs> to, to not listen to every word carefully. And, and not try to have an exact transliteration of exactly every word. You know, as, as intelligible as it can be. So, it's every case here is under heaven. But neither, neither of these guys put the text under heaven. So, make that of, make of that what you will. Under heaven, um, the softest seems to something like run, run or gallop the fastest. Under heaven... Um, the strongest or most resolute then is a uh, doesn't have or is without entering um, is, is without entering a space or is is formless something like that so under heaven <laughs> of all things softest or most yielding um he wrote, can overwhelm that of which all things is most hard. That's a particular way of translating. Meanwhile, D.C. Lao wrote, exterminate learning, and there will no longer be worries. Pretty different there. Then he goes on, the most submissive thing in the world can ride roughshod over the hardest in the world. <laughs> right? These guys, they do their thing. That which is without substance entering that which has no crevices. That is why I know the benefit of resorting to no action, Wu Wei. The teaching that uses no words, the benefit of resorting to no action, these are beyond the understanding of all but a very few in the world. Right. And so, <clears throat> um, how they go from what is the softest that runs the fastest, or gallops and runs the, the fastest, from the original, how that gets to exterminate learning and then no longer be worries, I have no idea. Or the submissive thing, the most submissive, can ride roughshod. Well, that's cute. Ride roughshod. But that's not the original. That's nowhere near the original. <laughs> so, make of it what you will, but it doesn't, it, it's really, I feel dismay, so I have to just accept. <laughs> um... This lack of commitment, <laughs> this lack of discipline, this lack of um, 
uh, of effort, <laughs> this uh, self, uh, this conceit, the conceit of translators. While I appreciate what they've done, um, in it's very very obvious that they um, they have uh, I I would say limited respect for the original. <laughs> Maybe they don't see it this way, but it does seem to me because um, you don't you don't twist and turn you don't you don't twist your teacher's words around. You try to be as exact as possible. Anyway. I have to accept that. <clears throat> so uh, the point is that the soft is the strongest. The softest or the yielding can be the strongest. And um, it's essentially that the, the heart of Wu Wei is um, non-forcing um, that allows that allow that allows. Um, positive transformation or improvement over time it's not in a hurry <clears throat> it's not um, anxious to force uh, uh, success whatever a person desires to not force fulfillment of desires and um, you can see that it's, it's the very big difference between a young wisdom over love approach and a love over wisdom approach. In many ways, if we're talking about love and wisdom, um, we're talking about uh, yin and yang. The heart of yin as love, the heart of yang as wisdom, where wisdom is closer to will, six ray. Six ray also includes, is, is associated with divine will or um, intelligent energy, which is power or de. Although wisdom, you know, we're learning here by wisdom, or this teaching and our learning is an exercise in development of wisdom and discernment, it's the wisdom of love, the wisdom of leading with love, the wisdom of leading with love, which merely means harmlessness and um, non-aggression, the, the wisdom of a... A gentle love leading approach to self and other and uh, decision and desire and um, objectives <clears throat> and so like Cook Ting the dexterous uh, butcher in, in Chongsu uh, this he keeps his knife sharp uh, rather than hacking at meat by inserting the edge of the blade where there is no form or there's no solidity in the very very subtle spaces between bone and joint or you know in the in the in the carcass he's cutting being substanceless it can enter even where there is no space um, very much the Taoist appreciates the formless over the form that which is without substance entering that which has no crevices. <clears throat> and so neither of these guys really understand it perfectly and neither do I. But um, uh, approaching doing by non-doing. Very similar to Ra saying that the, the crystallized healer has no will. 
that the crystallized healer is akin to the Tao or sage. Have no will is uh, never acting against the Tao. No will means no personal willfulness deviating from what's best for all, always. And obviously we're not at that level. <clears throat> the, the crystallized healer has no will. The Taoist sage um, holds close to Wu Wei or non-forcing action or action leading with love and harmlessness. And, and the harmlessness extru- it, it, it expands or extends uh, also to not harming um, the, the flow of the natural progression or flow of time. The, the natural temporal flow or succession of phenomena, meaning uh, the, the, the day goes to night. You could sit all day long cursing the sun and the daylight. Meanwhile, if you can take it easy, um, you may be resting well um, and, and okay that with the fact that night is coming. But if you curse the night in the day, you'll make yourself very upset and uh, harm your body-mind. And so this is very uh, akin to what's being taught here. Don't curse the night when it's just a matter of time, or don't curse the day when it's just a matter of time um, before day turns to night. Don't curse the night that's coming because it has to come. Don't curse the day because um, you don't have to. It will change and, and depart, but it will come back again. And so value in action that is actionless, teaching without words, indeed few understand for sure, um, it's, uh, it's much higher, in my understanding, to teach by doing not word. But there's certain teaching you can't really, you know, how do I teach the seven-dimensional model of cosmogenesis and seven-chakra evolution by doing? Do I dance around? Do I point to the rainbow? In the old days, some teachers are like that. They just, the student asks a question and the teacher says nearly nothing and then says, uh, go back and sit. <laughs> Come back to me when you understand something and and uh, I'll take a look. <clears throat> I mean, in, the, in some traditions in Japan, I believe, or China, in Chan or Zen, uh, there's nearly no instruction in meditation given. <laughs> the instruction is, Go sit there and practice. Practice what? Find out by yourself. And what the person, the monk or the student would do is basically remain in distress for a prolonged period, not knowing what to do. And the mind jumping and hopping wildly like uh, the monkey or insane person. And then the mind would settle down. And then maybe they would realize, hey, I'm breathing. (laughs) <laughs> Let me look at my breathing. Let me watch this. Or uh, they would naturally go from a dismay and chaotic mind to a quieter mind with some order or intrinsic discipline practice arising naturally. Uh, <laughs> that's the certain benefit to that approach, and other other times you there wouldn't be. So. If if uh, a student benefits by that, can we say it's a good approach? If another student doesn't benefit by it and they leave, can we say it's a bad approach? You see? 
<laughs> it, it, these things are very subtle. Um, the person who dies young, can we say it's a tragedy? The person who lives long, can we say it was a blessing? Um, in the book 2150, John tries to heal telepathically the guy, or by energy, the guy in the hospital dying in the bed in deep pain. The guy telepathically says, don't you dare take me out of this pain. Uh, I need to go through this so that, you know, several lifetimes from now, I don't become an abusive husband. As, as I know I would be if I don't go through this, pro, this physical intense pain and die of it in this lifetime. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot more going on here than we know. And sometimes, um, or what we label tragedy or bad uh, may well be a blessing from a different, may well be a blessing from a greater, higher, broader perspective. Uh, and in fact, you know, when Ross says all is complete and whole and perfect, or that that's the view of higher self, that's what we're talking about. From a multi-dimensional, multi-incarnational, karmic uh, stream, soul evolutionarily, uh, soul evolutionary perspective, uh, tragedy and pain are necessary karmic um, manifestations associated with rebalancing and continuing on the path and possibly, or maybe always, um, absolutely what's best in the moment. And so that doesn't sound very good if I'm in heavy pain or loss or blame, being blamed or dishonored or falling apart. <clears throat> doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right to talk that way, but... Um, the Taoist understanding of um, ceaseless alternation uh, in polar of polarity, ceaseless polarized alternation or cycles of polarity, um, in which something greater is going on. I just listened to E. Michael Jones interviewed on True News, excellent interview, talking about logos, <clears throat> and uh, he taught them a few things, and um, the idea is uh, that. The early Christians of the New Testament brought used the word logos to talk about God. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God, and the logos was God, but not the same. Clearly, one infinite creator versus the logos, not the same. Intelligent infinity, intelligent energy, not the same. <clears throat> but uh, aside from the fact that E. Michael Jones is probably a closet classicist, he's probably a, a he's probably a Heracletian. He's a Christian Heracletian, I'd say. Because <laughs> when you talk about Logos um, in Greek philosophy, you go back to Heraclitus and then maybe some others. Uh, but maybe Aristotle, Plato, I don't know. So uh, Socrates and all these guys talked about Logos, I don't know. But I think the early Christians used the word Logos uh, as distinct from God the Father um, because some of what they learned from Yeshua was absolutely in harmony with earlier Greek classical philosophy. Some of it. And that's a little secret that Mr. Jones didn't say, which is that a deeper understanding of Christian theology will naturally be or ought to be inclusive of or is intrinsically inclusive of some aspects of Greek philosophy and particularly the notion of Logos. So, um, but how we get here, 
chapter 43 from um, <clears throat> Under Heaven, <laughs> um, the softest gallops the fastest to exterminate learning and there'll no longer be worries, I don't know. So maybe Lao has some other text here. But then we go, the most submissive thing in the world can run rough, ride roughshed over the hardest. And that's just the power of the yin over the yang. Uh, two guys are fighting, or one guy is a jerk, and another guy stands in front of him. The jerk probably wants to fight. <clears throat> but if his mother, or his daughter, or his younger sister comes, he probably will be less likely to fight. Why? Because the yin overcomes the yang. The uh, music soothes a savage beast. <clears throat> now that's what we're talking about. So the power of the yin um, may well dominate the yang, while yang may only uh, further uh, inflame the yang. And so, likewise, uh, that which has no substance uh, can go everywhere, while that which is of form um, can only enter spaces that are sufficiently large enough to hold it. Eh? So, therefore, the Taoist talks about no action or Wu Wei, <clears throat> and mm, some uh, teaching that is demonstrated or modeled or shown uh, rather than endlessly discussed. It's easy to talk for those who know how to talk, it's hard to listen. And so, for those who can talk, it's a great ability to listen. And so for me in my counseling, I've learned, I try to train myself to listen, meaning let the person go on and talk freely uh, as much as seems right to be able to help them understand their process better and move out of being stuck. But listening is a much higher quality than speaking, although speaking is essential, uh, listening is a whole lot more subtle. <clears throat> Likewise, um, watching and being um, is a whole lot more subtle than acting and doing and changing physically. So, indeed, um, teaching that uses no words, teaching without words, um, the value of actionlessness, or non-forcing, crystallized healer that has no will, um, very few people understand what this is all about. <clears throat> now, finally... Uh, chapter 44, not too long, and um, a little easier to translate, it seems. So let's go to Arthur Whaley, Tao Te Ching, chapter 44. Fame, or one's own self, which matters to one most? One's own self, or things bought, which should count most? In the getting, or the losing, which is worse? He who grudges expense pays dearest in the end. He who has hoarded most will suffer the heaviest loss. Be content with what you have and are, and no one can despoil you. Who stops in time, nothing can harm. He is forever safe and secure. Nice pith Taoist teaching. D.C. Lao, your name or your person, which is dearer? Your person or your goods, which is worth more? 
gain or loss, which is the greater bane. That is why excessive meanness is sure to lead to great expense. Too much store is sure to end in immense loss. No contentment, and you will suffer no disgrace. Know when to stop, and you will meet with no danger. You can then endure. <clears throat> and so we can see minor differences in the translations here that I think are not that important. Essentially, you've got the first character is Ming, or name, also considered fame, or uh, your name. Uh, I think name is closer. It's not, the word wasn't fame, it was Ming, which is name. Like Mingzi means your name in Chinese. So name, uh, or body, <laughs> which is dearer, name or body. <clears throat> your name, meaning your reputation, or your the, your status or how people see you or your body which is more important then body or goods hua, body or money <laughs> which is greater uh, greater or which is uh, the more I think they wrote it as which should count the most or which is worth more <clears throat> which is more valuable which is, the word is duo, duo, hen duo, means many or a lot, uh, which is more numerous, <laughs> um, <clears throat> which is a very funny way of putting it, mm, body or money, body or goods, uh, which is, which is more so, which is more, so duo usually means many, much or a lot of, which is, which is the greater, which is the more, which is the many. <clears throat> of course, that, that would be hard to, uh, for most people to understand without explanation. But in some ways you can say body or goods. Obviously you have one body and you have many goods. <clears throat> so you have many goods and only one body in which to experience them all in this lifetime. So the body is um, the lesser and the greater. <laughs> it's the fewer <clears throat> is the one body to many goods, but it's the greater in importance. And then, um, in the getting and the losing, which is worse, uh, which is worth more, gain or loss, uh, which is a greater bane, which is more trouble, <clears throat> excuse me, getting or losing. Uh, interestingly, the word for getting here was duh, but it, and it's actually... Um, the same, I think it's the same duh, let me just see here, no, it's a different duh, no, yes, it's a different duh than Tao Duh Ching, so that's why they've been translated as virtue or power, so in the getting or the losing, which is worse, uh, your, which is worth more, gain or loss, which is uh, gain or loss, what's the greater bane? What's the greater trouble or suffering or despair? Gain or loss? Because when you gain, if you don't want to lose, you better give freely. Some. If you lose, you needed to lose. <clears throat> it was karmically required or karmically just or deserved or simply a lawful consequence of causes. And... Having had that loss, 
one may well be ready to gain more, or one may be in a position where um, one has a greater perspective or understanding from the loss. It was necessary for some reason. The problem is, <clears throat> of course, when people, uh, we, get knocked down or have a loss or have pain, and then um, go into despair or self-pity or self-harming or resignation, depression, hopelessness, and helplessness and fall apart. And then more trouble comes. Uh, or it surely happens, then the trouble comes, and then more trouble comes, regardless of our mind. You see, there are countless cases. And so generalization is um, of limited value. So, <clears throat> um, inevitable there's loss. Inevitable we don't like it. Because at some level we want continual gain. Uh and it gets to be, it goes from small to great. And some cases are minor, some cases are major. So I know somebody who on the cloudy afternoon says, why is it cloudy? It was so sunny in the morning. <laughs> and doesn't seem to understand that there's continual change and alternation. Yeah. It, nothing is permanent here. Anicca, impermanence, inconstancy. And... <clears throat> Um, this cloudy will eventually be followed by sunny. But that sunny will eventually be followed by cloudy. And uh, when you go for something that's good, <clears throat> you will see that there's some bad to it too. When you have some situation that's bad, you can see in many cases, not maybe not all, that there is some things that's good. And that's not playing in the game. Meaning... People play a game in their mind and say, oh, it's not so bad. It's really good. You know, I I broke my leg and now I'm crawling on the floor. But it's good. It's it's good. And try to pretend that they're feeling well when they're really feeling miserable. <clears throat> if we're feeling miserable, feel miserable. But um, elaborating it with thoughts supporting hopelessness and helplessness and powerlessness and resignation to a terrible future forever that's an add-on that is unnecessary and harmful and and it it's um making trouble it's unnecessary it, it's unnecessary and harmful so what's necessary is to acknowledge i think <clears throat> i feel pain i don't like loss i want eternal gain forever perpetual gain but it's impossible and frankly, it probably wouldn't be that good anyway. Now, without playing a trick on myself, I can admit, well, I think I'd like to have more and more money, or more and more sex, or more and more houses, or Gulfstream jets, or popularity, or fame and fortune, or something, something. Okay, now, <clears throat> is that really necessary? <laughs> Would that really be unqualified joy and bliss and happiness, moment by moment by moment? No. <laughs> Having a big house, do you think that that's total joy 24-7? No, it isn't. Having not having a house, is it total misery 24-7? No, it isn't. And so, every situation that we call good has multiple disadvantages and hardships. And every situation that we call bad, uh, nearly all, 
can be found to have certain benefits and supports and opportunities that are good. So that's why the yin-yang figure, right? In the middle of the field of white is a black dot. In the middle of the field of black is a white dot. In <clears throat> um, the heart of yin is yang. In the heart of yang is yin. If the deep mind of the male is uh, anima. The deep mind of the female is animus. So Jungian psychology. The deep, the conscious mind of a biological male is male or young tinged the deep mind of a biological male otherwise called a man is uh, female tinged or of feminine quality or yin so the reverse for biological female or a woman <clears throat> so um, uh, what we define in a certain way has multiple aspects and elements of what we may define in a completely polarized opposite way, embedded intrinsic within it, embedded within it, intrinsic to it. <laughs> and so uh, the one, <clears throat> it's like these guys that are, uh, they have uh, the, the billionaires, the hundred millionaire club and the billionaires looking to make bunkers around the world. So they make their bunker, they put in their nuclear generator or their perpetual motion machine or zero-point gravity, whatever they have. <clears throat> but they need guys to staff it <laughs> to protect them because they're not, you know, they're only one guy with an arm, two arms. So they, they need uh, security. How do they know the security is not going to turn on them and uh, slash them? Well, they don't know. So they maybe hire rob robots. Who's going to service the robots? You think those guys are going to take care of you in a grid down or when the shit hits the fan? The serv the guys who service your robots are not going to turn the robots against you? Who knows? <laughs> so they got a lot to worry about too. And so the more you have, the more one needs to worry about maintaining what one has. Um, in, in simplicity, maybe abundance. In physical abundance, maybe great stress and anxiety and uh, all sorts of people want to use you for your money um, the man or the woman who's beautiful <clears throat> is super popular and and will never know who wants them values them for who they really are or their mind or their heart versus their outer beauty or their wealth so your name or your person which is dearer your person or your goods which is dearer uh, so one's, one's self, one's body, one's life, what's most important? True valuation. What's universal, true, um, enlightened and wise value? What, what are, what, what are the, what's the value scale for a wise one? <clears throat> um, and what's better, getting or losing? <laughs> it, it, it's a good question, actually. And so you're too tight, you'll lose. You hold too much, um, something will burst away, burst off. No contentment and you suffer no disgrace. Be content with what you have and what you are. Uh, I don't think that's the original phrase, but certainly uh, contentment with possessions or status and selfhood um, is a great 
gain the the gain of appreciation and gratitude for what one has and no one can despoil you you suffer no disgrace there's no loss associated with um, deep sincere appreciation of what is <clears throat> and you know and trouble comes and when trouble comes we should you know be honest about our responses but try to see a bigger picture and so this is a pure Taoist philosophy moral philosophy um, the value of um, wise value the value uh, of wise recognition um, uh, of what is most and what is le lesser important the, the scale of values <clears throat> and and so the Taoist or the sage um, develops their sense of values in accord with reality the reality of change, anicca, cycles, uh, polarity, um, anatta, sunyata, the reality that uh, from the Buddhist three marks, um, uh, phenomena are um, evanescent, like a dream, like a dewdrop, like a bubble, and there is no <clears throat> eternally unchanging substance. Uh, insubstantiality and stress and so there's going to be stress wherever you live like we talked about before stay in the US go to another country there'll be problems um, meanwhile um, there are differences too <laughs> and um, this location and 200 miles away may be very different meanwhile everybody has their own karmic stream and some people suffer in a beautiful location. Other people feel joy in a super crowded, uh, overpopulated situation. So, it's very all of this is very subtle. Anyway, <clears throat> um, I think that you can see, first of all, the limits of translation, and secondly, uh, more importantly, some pith Taoist teachings here that. Um, pushing, uh, ever pushing leads to falling, and um, gentle being uh, that's careful and uh, content, but honest, obviously, um, and sensitive, uh, but aware of the greater realities, the, the greater reality of, of how phenomena uh, process, how systems and process is, which is wisdom, uh, can, can um, make the best of this experience in this dimension, which is a difficult, admittedly, a difficult situation. So, next time we'll go to chapter 45. I hope this has been helpful, <clears throat> and um, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. So, take good care. See you next time, and good night.